0: Welcome to the All People's Church Podcast. We believe in loving God, strengthening families, and developing leaders. We are so excited for you to hear this life-changing message recorded live at one of our worship experiences. Remember to share and subscribe to this podcast and enjoy the message. Happy Wednesday. It's good to be alive. It's good to be in God's house. Amen. Today is the uh, first Official day of fall, and uh, the weather—the weather let us know. Hey, the weather really let us know. And so, uh, listen. I hope you're doing well. Thank you for coming, by the way, uh, in person in this rainy uh, and cold, um, some would call gross weather. Um, but uh, I'm glad you're here. Thank you for those of you watching online. My name is Moses Khan. I am one of the pastors here, and I have the privilege and the honor uh, to lead us tonight in a Bible study. Uh, we've been in the Gospel of Matthew, and uh, it's been good. And we're coming uh, to the beginning of the end of the of the Sermon on, Ma- on the Mount. And um, it's going to be good. I hope so. And um, and then after, after the Sermon on the Mount, uh, just before we get to Matthew 8 and continue the journey... You guys want to continue the journey, right? just want to make sure, all right, you're not, you're not tired of, uh, of Matthew just yet. Uh, we'll do like a mini-series of, of something and um, kind of praying through that and thinking through that. And so we'll see what God does. We'll see what God does. And uh, I'm just grateful. Um, honestly, I was just thinking about this and I was like, man, I'm just so grateful to have a space where people um, are just eager to learn and lean in. Um, to the Word of God, and so thank you for being, for being those those people. That's not to say that that Sundays aren't the same space, but um, you know you're the Wednesday night crowd. You you go deeper. You you you're longing for something a little bit more deep, a little bit more consistent. And so um, I just uh, I appreciate that. I appreciate that, and I want to let you know that I am on this journey with you, and so. Um, i can't I can't tell you how fruitful um, going through the gospel of Matthew has been for me personally in in my relationship with God and so uh, I only hope and pray that it has been fruitful uh, for you and if you're just joining us, I had somebody tell me uh, that they just started um, the series on Matthew online and so uh, if you're joining us maybe for the first time, the rest of it is. On our YouTube channel, and you can check, you can check that out. We're gonna be in Matthew chapter seven, verses twelve to fourteen. Twelve to fourteen tonight. If you got a notebook, that's always, always, always encouraged. Um, I just, it just does me good to write notes. And so, in fact, of writing notes, I had to, I had to write my notes in my in my notebook today. Because our, our, printer stopped, our printer stopped working. And so I had to hand write all, all these notes. What am I trying to tell you? I'm trying to tell you I labored for you. <laughs> all right. Well, let's close in prayer. No, I'm kidding. Um, Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. These are the words of Jesus. I'm reading out of the ESV translation. He says this. He says, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard, that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Would you pray, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is true. it's everlasting and it does not fail. And we thank you that even as we open your word, Lord, we are coming face to face with you. And we just ask Holy Spirit that you would do an incredible work in our hearts, in our minds, and in our lives, that you would shape us and mold us um, more into the image of Jesus so that you would be glorified. We thank you, Father, even for this first day of fall We thank you for that because we understand, Lord, that even you operate in and through and by seasons. And so we just acknowledge that you are at work. And I just declare, Father, even a new season over the lives of your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, the golden rule. The golden rule. This is going to be good. Now. This, I'm sure you are familiar with, you, you don't even have to be a Christian to be familiar with this verse. You, if, you, if you grew up in school, I'm sure at some point you got told, hey, treat others the way you want to be treated. Yeah. Right? Uh, in fact, when I was in elementary school, I remember um, on one of the walls of our gymnasium, uh, the golden rule was written out. And uh, I just remember... Um, That that was just something that was emphasized. Now, something that's important for us, I think, to pay attention to is that this this rule here, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also um, to them, uh, this was actually used by others before it was used by Jesus. And so this saying is not new to Jesus. However, um, scholars that have recorded this saying have found it only to be used in the negative. And so the sayings that have been used that are similar to this, um, before Jesus' time, were um, went something along the the lines of, um, and if you don't want something hateful done to you, make sure you don't do it to others. And so scholars actually record Jesus to be the first person who has said it this way and has said it in the positive. Whatever you wish others would do to you, do also to them. Now, this is incredibly important. You say, wow, okay, well, that's a cool fact, Pastor Moses, but how is that important? Well, let me tell you. It's important that Jesus puts this in the positive rather than the negative. Because if, it is, if it's in the negative, it actually gives us permission to, 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 to step into uh, sins of omission. Meaning... Um, in moments where we know the right thing to do and do not do them. That's, those are called sins of omission, right? James says, uh, James says if you know the right thing to do it, uh, if you know the right thing and you don't do it, then you have sinned. So those are, those are sin, sins of omission. Sins of commission are sins that you deliberately do. You, you made a choice. But sins of omission, which many of us are probably more guilty of, is in, in moments of knowing the right thing to do not doing them. And so when this is in the negative, what's the excuse you have? Well, well, at least I didn't do anything hateful. Right? And so all of a sudden, even though you know the right thing to do, you excuse it because you didn't do the negative. You didn't, you didn't do the hateful thing. You didn't do the harmful thing. Hello? And so it's incredibly important that Jesus puts this in the positive because now he has discovered both the sins of commission and the sins of omission. And so we're, we don't have an excuse. We, don't, we, don't, we, we, can't, we can't navigate through different moments where, where we're not Christ-like and use the excuse, well, at least I wasn't. I mean, I could have been more, hello? At least I didn't cuss him out. I know I was, I know I was rude and disrespectful. I know I didn't, I didn't, I know I didn't reflect Jesus, but but at least I didn't cuss him out. Or, or gentlemen, at least, at least I didn't take a swing. At least I didn't get aggressive. Hello? And so Jesus, knowing the human heart, it takes what has been only been known to be said in the negative, flips it, says it in the positive. So now you and I are guilty either way. Don't you love Jesus? You gotta love Jesus. And so he says, he says, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also for, do also to them. Now, the next part is incredibly important and does not get the credit that it deserves because he says, for, this is the law and prophets. For, this is the law and prophets. Now, notice his reasoning is the law and prophets, and we're going to get into why this is important. But do you notice that Jesus does not say, for they will reciprocate. They will treat you the same way you treat them. Treat others the way you want to be treated, and then they will treat you the way you want to be treated also. And Jesus, Jesus, doesn't even, Jesus doesn't even go into that, and I think this is important for us to remember because as followers of Jesus, as disciples of Christ, we need to remember that our motivation and our reasoning to do things is not so that others would apply the same courtesy we apply to them. Or others would act out in the same love and in the same grace, and sometimes even in the same manners as we operate. And I remember having a conversation with an individual in my office, and uh, he we were just we were just talking about human tendencies, and he was kind of just you know being open and, and, and vulnerable and transparent to me. Um, and, and he began to he began to say one of his one of his greatest irritations is is when he holds the door open for another person and they neglect to say thank you. And something just irritates him to the core, uh, and it makes him almost want to snatch that person, pull that person back out of the doorway, and close that door on them once again. And if we're all honest, we feel like that a lot of the times. And my question to him was, well, what what makes you so entitled that you deserve a thank you every time you do something good? Right? Right? And, and here's the issue, because now we have to talk about, um, okay, what, what, though we are, we belong to, we belong as citizens to this country. We are, we're Canadians. We, we operate by the norms of society. Uh, manners are normal. Hello? They're good. Right? Society does better when, when people have manners. Your home does better when people have manners. But then we have to get to the place where we have to ask the question, um, is that it? Is that what I'm going to be governed by? I, I understand that I live in a Canadian society, but am I going to be now governed by this citizenship? Now, and here's what I mean, because because I, I think I need to I need to make some lines, because you're like, are you telling us to break laws and stuff like that? Because no, no, that's not what I'm telling you. As a citizen of Canada, we need to we need to operate by laws. We need to we need to function obviously as noble. Law-abiding citizens, right? Scripture points to that. But then on a deeper level, we are much more governed by the kingdom of God than we are the government of Canada. Uh, Hello? Um, And so when Jesus says, when Jesus says for the law and for this is the law and prophets, it's important for us to understand that he's not saying so others treat you the same way. And here's what we need to understand. Here's the bubbles that we need to pop in our own mind, in our, in our ego, in our sense of entitlement, our need for it. We just need to let go of the fact that we deserve to be treated the way we treat others. I know that's not easy. I know the argument is, man, well, well, why can't we just find some decent people with some manners who will who, treat me with some dignity and respect? That, that's fine and that's dandy. However, Jesus does not give us the permission to play that card. Right? Remember Monopoly? Can't pass go? Same thing. Je- Jesus does not give us the permission to lay down our entitlement card, to lay down our, well, I deserve to dot, dot, dot. Well, I Jesus doesn't give us that. And so why does, he point to, why does he point to the law and the prophets later on in Matthew 22 when Jesus is approached and asked the question of what is the greatest commandment? He lists two. Remember them? The, num- the first one is to what? Love God with all our heart? Yes. And the other is to love our neighbor as? To love our neighbor as ourselves. And in that scripture, if you need the reference, if you're taking notes, it's Matthew 22, verse verse 40. After Jesus gives these two greatest commandments, he says, says, all the law and prophets hang on these. You You need to understand that. All the law and the prophets hang on these. Now, what has Jesus just done? Jesus has summarized the law and prophets. Right? And so even if you, look at the, if you look at the Ten Commandments, the first half fit into the category of love God. The second half fit into the category of love your neighbor as yourself. Right? And so Jesus summarizes this and he says, listen, the law and the prophets hang on loving God and loving others. They hang on this. In other words, if, if you've not established this to be a leading thing, In your life, love God, love others, you have misunderstood the law and the prophets. Okay? Now, when you hear the law and the prophets, you think Old Testament literature. When people of this day hear the law and the prophets, they think the word of God. Right? So Jesus says, the word, um, he says, loving God and loving others, these two commandments, the word of God hangs on. In other words, if you cannot live your life on these two fundamental things, you've misunderstood the word of God. Now this is where, uh, as followers of Jesus, as his disciples, we go into a deeper level because we're led by something else. We're not led by what is convenient. We're not led by what comes naturally. We're not led by our expectations and even what we feel we are entitled to. We are led by what is considered a priority in his kingdom. Does that make sense? And so even in regards to decision making, because sometimes we can have have a hard time making decisions um, with with different things in our our life and in different seasons, what do we need to remember? We need to be led by what is considered a priority in the kingdom of God. Why? Because we are much more governed by the kingdom of God than we are the government of Canada. Okay? Now again, I have to clarify, I'm not saying we become zealots. And try to overthrow the government that's that's not it that's not what jesus i've taught this right jesus jesus did not come to conquer nations he came to conquer hearts he he didn't come to conquer governments he didn't do that in his day he came to conquer hearts right because one day everything's going to be gone and so he is creating a people for the new for for his kingdom now why is this important so that's the first reason number two the reason it's important is he just connected this golden, golden rule, as, as it has been known, and, and we put it up on walls and we teach it, our, teach it to our kids, he's connected the whole story of God to this. Now that's incredibly important, because here's what happens. We, 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 we see something like this, and we call it the golden rule. And, uh, and here's what we do. We, we, we take things like this, and, and we, we apply it to our society and we apply it to our cultures and, and, we, and we make, we isolate them from the story of God. And Jesus has just said, you cannot do that. You cannot take this and isolate it from the story of God. So, I remember, like I said earlier, growing up in elementary school where this was plastered on the wall, even in different, even in different areas uh, and seasons of my life where I have int- I've had interactions. And you know, it's interesting where you hear people say things like um, Canada was founded on biblical principles. Right? You've heard that? And there's truth to that. Um, however, if we're not careful, then, then we're going to be led far more by... Um, what we want the ideal Canadian experience to be and not led by the kingdom of God. And so, he- here's, here's what I want to say. The goal, even as Canadian citizens, the goal is not to become more Canadian. The goal is to become more Christ-like. Right. It's not to become more Canadian. It's to become more Christ-like. And, and, and you know, you hear, you hear jokes all the time about, you know, Canadians being so polite, and, and, all, all, and, and, there's, and there's historical reasons for why we're known as that, and a lot of, a lot of those reasons actually point to the biblical upbringing, um, even in terms of scripture, that Canada, that Canada has. But the goal is not to become more Canadian. Okay? The goal is to become more Christ-like. Now, why is that incredible, incredibly important? Because... Here's what happens. The idea that that we can just extract noble thoughts of Jesus and detach them from the story of Jesus is a major problem. It's a major, major problem. Because here's what happens. what ends up happening is we end up teaching moralism and we don't end up teaching people the story of Jesus. And we don't end up teaching people the power of the kingdom. We don't end up teaching people about the domain of the kingdom and what it means to become the people of the kingdom. And so here's what has happened in in even Canadian society. Here's here's what we like. We like to take the noble things that Jesus says and we want to detach them from the story of Jesus and we just want to live by those things. Those are the things we teach our kids, right? And it's like, how do we measure growth of our children? Well, are they abiding by the noble teachings of Jesus? Are they loving their brothers and sisters? Are they doing good? And, and, and what do we do? We detach it from the story of Jesus. Now, why is that incredibly, why is that a major problem? Well, let's go into that. What happens is we, we discard everything in terms of the story of Jesus and and the origins of the Bible, and the origins of human history, and even where God is taking us. I, I, I hope I'm gonna, I make sense. Am I, am I okay so far? I know i got some looks that are, that are confused, but hopefully this will, this will make sense. So what do we do? We, we discard everything. We discard the story of Jesus. We s- discard the story of humanity in terms of the origins, where God has brought them, and where God wants to take humanity. And what we do is we actually interpose our own motives... And we interpose our own desired goal for our lives and also for society. And we say, This is where this should lead me. Now, the problem with that is, is God has His own story. And so we cannot discard His story and interpose our own motives and our own desire for our lives and society. So human history, if you study human history, human history shows the chaos that this creates. What do you mean? Human history shows the chaos of what happens when people take, for instance, the kind sayings of Jesus and run with them in isolation. Chaos happens. Why? Because people walk away now from the standard of scripture. We've seen this in history. We're, we're seeing it today. And, and maybe if you're parents, you're, you're seeing it in the lives of your kids where people want Jesus, but they don't want to, to be, um, in, in their own words, um, suppressed under the realm and the domain of the kingdom. And so it's like, give me Jesus and give me, uh, give me grace and give me the gospel, um, but do not give me the, the standards and the authority that that comes with. Does that make sense? And so what happens? We, we take the kind things that Jesus says, which is to love your neighbor, which is this golden rule, do whatever, you know, what you wish uh, others do to you, make sure you do that to them. And, and all these things that we take of Jesus, we run those things in isolation, and I am seeing more and more people, even in my own circle, that have now began to, to take on um, things, even in their Christianity that are completely contrary to the word of God. Why? Because they have detached and discarded the story of Christ and said, no, 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 I'm going to actually interpose my motives and I'm going to interpose my desired goal in God's story. Now the same thing has happened when people have taken the harsh sayings of Jesus, isolated those, and have ran with them, and that's created a lot of issues throughout human history. We could talk about oppression. We could talk about slavery. We we can talk about even even today of, of churches holding up signs that we know are hateful. Hello, uh, where where people are not even showing the love and the grace of God, because what have they done? They have taken the harsh sayings of Jesus and they have isolated them from the story of Jesus and they have ran with them. Am I making sense? And so in either case, a problem is presented. What's the problem? People don't hear the story of Jesus. People don't hear that there was an origin. People don't hear that God created the world and everything was good and that the human heart messed it up. People don't hear the struggle of Israel and the cycles Israel had to go through to try to figure things out on their own and how the law continued to expose the weaknesses uh, of, of humanity. People don't hear about how Jesus came just at the right time and that he died on their behalf to take their sin become, and so that they would become the righteousness of God. They don't hear that. And what they also don't hear is that there's an end goal. That Jesus is returning. That that we are going to be given new bodies. That there is going to be a new heaven and earth. They, they don't they don't hear that. So so they just get these extrapolated sayings. And they think they figured out Christianity. And so either when people so so then you have two two issues. You have um, you have the issue of people accepting. Christianity that isn't Christianity, and then people rejecting Christianity that isn't Christianity. Because they, what they are accepting and rejecting are just extrapolated sayings that other people have convinced them is Christianity, but it's not. Does that make sense? I, I'm like sweating up here because I think I turned the heat up. Okay, let's, let's continue. We're good so far? Okay. Okay. So the, the human history, human history, human history shows shows this. Maybe i gotta, maybe got to stand up. Okay, so Jesus says, so whatever you wish others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Again, it points to Matthew 22, verse 40, which is the greatest two commandments. The law and the prophets hang on those things. Now, this is where things get a little bit interesting. Things get a little spicy, as some people say. You're like, nobody says that, Pastor Mom. Okay, whatever. Um, all right, he says, he says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy. That leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. Those who enter by it are many. So let's, let's break this down a little bit because I think this is important for us to understand. So the ending of the Sermon um, on the Mount of Matthew, Matthew chapter 7. Jesus begins to do something very interesting as he concludes the Sermon on the Mount. In in this teaching, he talks about two different ways, right? In the next teaching, he talks about two different trees. And then in the next teaching, he talks about two different claims. Those claims are, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy? And then the second claim is, well, I never knew you. And then after that, he goes into the two builders, the, the wise builder and the foolish builder, right? Remember that? And so Jesus is ending his Sermon on the Mount very strategically, and I think it's important for us to to pay attention to this even as we continue uh, moving forward. So here he talks about um, he talks about two gates, right? What are the what? Are the, what's the first gate? The first gate is wide. You see that? Let me get rid of this. So the first gate is wide, and the second gate is what? Is narrow. And then he says there's two ways. The first way is easy, and the second way is is hard. The first Uh, And then he talks about um, two two types of crowds. The first crowd, he says, there are many. And the second crowd, there are a few. And then lastly, he talks about two destinations. The first destination is destruction. The second destination is life. So, So let's begin to to break this down and let's begin to understand why is Jesus doing this right at the end. So I need you to pay attention to this because many there's been there's been a few uh, you know there's been some confusion about why Jesus is doing this and, and even this this verse as people have isolated it and disconnected it from the rest of the sermon on the mount. So if you notice Jesus does his teaching, right? The sermon on the mount and and then then he gets to what? The narrow gate. Right? We see that? Now why doesn't Jesus go narrow gate teaching first and then the rest of the teaching? Why doesn't, why, doesn't Jesus, why doesn't Jesus do that? I think he does this on purpose and I think he does it strategically because I think the teaching points to the fact that this way is hard and the gate is narrow. You understand what I'm saying? And so if you read through the sermon of the mount, the sermon on the mount, it doesn't take very long to come to the conclusion that this is hard. Hello? Like am I the only one? You're like no pastor, Mark, I got this figured out. Like, it doesn't take a long time to realize I don't have the willpower to do this. It doesn't take a long time to realize this kind of isn't normal. Hello? And so I think he introduces the teaching first so that when he gets to this point of introducing the narrow gate, the crowd of of that day, the audience that Matthew is writing to, and us today, understand that this is, this is true. That this teaching really isn't easy to follow. It's, it's different. It's, it's otherworldly. And why is that? Because I think when it comes to even the kingdom of God, there's, there's actually, by Jesus himself, A demand placed on the people of the kingdom there's a demand placed on the people of the kingdom and and here's what happens as we live as followers of Jesus we abide by his teaching as we do all of this right we experience the reality of this being true Now, if you have not experienced the reality of this being true, that means you're not really living this out. Because once you live this out, there's a demand. A demand gets placed on your life. Where as you begin to follow Jesus, you begin to obey his words, you begin to listen to his teachings, you begin to operate by the Spirit of God, you come to the understanding, this this gate is narrow. This way is hard. There's only a few. It's just the natural, supernatural process, if that makes sense. As you live as followers of Jesus, you experience this reality to become true. Now remember, even when Jesus first came on the scene and started his ministry, what was the first thing that came out of his mouth? Repent. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. So, so the announcement, Jesus' announcement of the kingdom came with a demand. The demand was repent. Now this, this, this scripture, even in terms of one, way being, one gate being narrow and one way being hard and, and all sorts of things. People have taken this and said, you know, wow, this is, this is really, this is, this is Jesus um, and, and, and his exclusivity. This is why we don't like Christianity because Jesus is so exclusive. He, he's, about, he's about separating people. He's about not accepting people and only accepting a few. And even when he comes on the scene, he's like, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. The announcement of the kingdom comes with a demand. Now, was Jesus excluding people or was he truly showing them how the kingdom will be available to them? I need you to catch this. Because you've heard, wow, Christianity is, it just excludes people. It's Jesus is the only way. What's that about? Repent? Why can't I just continue living the way I'm living and, and accept Him? It's like, no, no, no. Jesus, the kingdom comes with a demand only because repentance is the only way the kingdom is actually made available to you. And so when we, when we convince people they can have the kingdom without repenting, we've deceived them. When you convince your children that they have a relationship with Jesus when they have not repented. You've deceived them. Now that's not to say that they cannot communicate to God. And that's not to say that God won't even show up in their lives. But to say that their eternal destination has been secured is incorrect. And to even say they have the Spirit of God is incorrect. Because for everyone who believes he gives the right to become the children of God and believing requires repentance. That's why we only baptize people who've repented. And so even when people come to, to, to sit with me and they say, "Man, I want to be repented, I to I want to be baptized." I said, "Well tell me your understanding of repentance." He said, "Why is that so important, Pastor Mo? Here's why it's important because again, repentance means two things in the Greek. Number one, it means a change of direction. Number two, it means a change of mind. Change of, change of direction, change of mind. Change of direction, change of mind. Right? To what? To a new world. To a new reality. What's the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is God's domain. It's heaven invading your life. And so what is Jesus saying? He's saying to accept this reality, some things need to change. You have to change your direction and you have to change your thoughts. Change your mind, change your direction. Why is that incredibly important? Because if the kingdom of God is over there, and I'm facing the natural human trajectory, is here. It does not matter how many worship songs I'm singing. It does not matter that my grandparents were saved My mom was saved. My dad was saved. It doesn't matter. Because the kingdom's over there. And until I repent, come to the place where I realize my natural direction is wrong, and I make that 180, I actually cannot accept the kingdom. And so Jesus is not excluding people. He's telling them, This is how the kingdom is made available. By putting a demand. Change your direction. Change your mind. Does that make sense? So, why is that important? Because Jesus is not just giving us morality. He's creating a new people. He's not just giving us principles, he's creating a new people. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And then why is the sequence that he sits at a mountain, a place of authority, and now he begins to teach the crowd the ways of the kingdom. What is he doing? He's creating a people of the kingdom. Hello? And So so he's not just doing that, he's he's creating a people of, of the kingdom and he's creating a people who have an ultimate destination. So so let's not disconnect from the story of God. We have an ultimate destination. And if there's anything I think in my conversations with, with believers that believers are forgetting is that there's an end goal. There's an ultimate destination. We're living for something. We're moving towards something. So yes, the kingdom is here. And at the same time, the kingdom is awaiting. And and we are awaiting for the day Jesus comes back and everything we cherished here, Peter says, is going to be burned up. But not just to be burned up. So that God would introduce the new heaven and the new earth. And that you and I would have been given a nature that Peter says is the same nature of Jesus and so we lose the struggle and the fight with our flesh that's the ultimate destination we're moving towards now I've been guilty of forgetting that I've been guilty of making decisions we're in the process of making that decision, I forget that's a reality. And so what happens when we begin to remind ourselves once again and we we get the Spirit of God to remind us once again of that reality? All of a sudden, our choices begin to carry a lot more weight. Not that we get burdened, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not saying, I'm not saying we now live mer- miserable lives because we're always burdened with the fact that, that you know, the, the end is coming, the end is coming, the end is coming. No, no. But at the same time, there is that level of urgency that we do not forget that we are a people on a mission. That, that the only hope the world currently has to step into God's kingdom is you and I. Right? And so that's why, remember John? John says, John says, the Word, the Word in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he continues on and he says, the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. In the Greek, that literally means he set up a tent. God set up a tent. You know what the Old Testament picture of a tent is? A temple. Hello? Hello? What is Jesus? The walking temple of God. Does that make sense? Now if I lost you, what happens when you and I put our faith in Jesus? We receive the spirit of God. Paul says we have become the temples, the dwelling place of God. In other words, you and I now become walking temples of of God. Now this might blow your little minds, and my little mind, because in the same way that people could encounter God through Jesus, they can encounter God through you and I. Now you're like, Pastor Mo, I'm not that spiritual. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Because the prerequisite to someone's heart acknowledging the reality of God is the Holy Spirit. Because without the Holy Spirit, no one can confess Jesus as Lord. And so you you don't even have to have your life put together. You just need to have the Holy Spirit. And you watch God defy All the limits that you've set up in your own life. All the reasons you've told yourself, this is why God can't do this. This is why God won't do that. This is why God's not using. You just watch him defy that. And just be blown away. You know what I'm mostly blown away? There's so many many things. But one of the things is that God continues to use me despite me it blows me away. Like I'm going to go home and in my car I'm going to thank God that He has the ultimate say. Because if I did, I wouldn't be up here. And that's not to say that you know, there, there's no calling. and there's, I, I understand that there's a call, there's a purpose and all, all sorts of things. But at the same time, I understand that the Holy Spirit has the ability to override the chaos in my life. And if you don't believe that, go read Genesis chapter 1. Because if he had the ability to override the chaos in all of the universe, man, he has the ability to override the chaos in your little life. And I say little on purpose. Not to insult you, but to to just give you perspective. So that's what Jesus is, is doing. And so I think in many ways this this scripture hits people who are, you know, consider themselves to be, well, number one, it hits, when we properly understand it, it it hits the whole misconception of the exclusivity of of Christ. Um, There is an exclusivity to it, but not just to be exclusive, but because it's the only way. And I think this verse also hits people who are, or at least consider themselves to be, spiritually elite spiritually better than and at the same time I think it hits people who are who are lazy in their discipleship that they don't understand that there's an urgency that there's a call that there's a purpose that I'm supposed to be moved by something deeper and so as we conclude let's just let's just wrap this up by because I got to get you out of here by 8.30 because I know, I know that's a thing. Apparently that's a thing. People appreciate the fact that they're out of here by eight, 8.30, so I want to honor that. And so Jesus mentions the gate. What else does he mention? The way. And then he mentions what? The destination. So what do you think the gate is? Jesus that's a good answer I like that answer the gate is Jesus more specifically it's it's our following of Jesus and even more specifically it's the choice we make as Romans says To confess with our mouth and to believe with our hearts. That's the gate. The gate is the entry. The gate is recognizing who Jesus is, making that choice, and following him. That's the gate. The way is the kingdom. More specifically, becoming the people of the kingdom ironically the first disciples and followers of Jesus the early church were, were known as what the people of the way it's it's the kingdom it's becoming the people of the kingdom more more specifically how do we how do we do that that we that we become a people of the Of the ways of Jesus the words of Jesus and the nature of Jesus how do we become the people how do we become the people of the kingdom by operating by the ways of Jesus the words of Jesus and the nature of Jesus right um the first pages, the first pages of, the, of the Bible would have called this the image of God. And we do that ultimately not by our own willpower but by the Holy Spirit. So the gate is Jesus, it's following Jesus, it's making that choice. As Romans says, to believe in our hearts, to confess with our mouth. The the way is the kingdom, becoming the people of the kingdom by abiding to the ways, the words, and the nature of Jesus. Essentially, that's what scripture calls the image of God. Right? Colossians says he's he's the exact imprint. And we don't do that on our own accord. We do that in and through and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And lastly, he says, there's a destination which is eternal life. More specifically, because this sounds very ambiguous, it is, let me see if I can change the color here, the new heaven and the new earth. So I hope that that makes a little bit more sense um, when you look at that scripture and um, that it's not just to be taken in isolation but it's connected to the story the story of God it's connected to the narrative that has played out is playing out and will continue to play out and you and I are here, right here. We are operating and living as the people of the way and moving towards this. And in this journey, hopefully, as we operate under the convictions of the word of God, we move other people towards this as well. Does that make sense? Amen. All right, look, 10 minutes to spare. I'll close in prayer. God, thank you so much. Lord, for giving us a moment like this, which is in in, in one sense a, a, a forced pause and a forced rest where we can just come before you and receive your word and hear what you have to say to us. And we thank you that you have spoken. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would not allow this to go in one ear and out the other, but that this would take root in our hearts and in our souls, that this would move us to continue to become the people of the way, operating by your ways, your words and your nature in and through your power. I ask that you be with your people, God, as they endeavor to be deeper and more consistent followers of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.